This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Bobby Papioni is the girls DA director and a coach with FC Virginia. Born and raised in California, he made his way to the South for college and explored the world of college club soccer in Alabama. And during our conversation, we spent a decent chunk of time talking about how he and his buddies found a way to play soccer in a state that is mostly known for its addiction to college football. Um, I have previously coached college club soccer. I actually just this past weekend uh, refed a regional tournament for college club soccer, and that world has always been very interesting to me. So Bobby and I talked a little bit about that. I found that very, uh, very informative. And we also talked about just a handful of random topics, which is why I think this episode is great, especially if you already follow Bobby on social media, but you've never heard him on a podcast before. It's a good introduction to who Bobby is and what he does and what he believes in. This also puts a voice and a tone to his work that you might see online. He's one of the most active coaches on social media and engages daily with other coaches who are passionate about the sport. And he jokingly told me in a text message that he wasn't a good guest for this show because he's not controversial. But I think it's the exact opposite. I think he's a great guest because he's out on the field every single week putting in the work. So his perspective is incredibly valuable. And I was happy that he agreed to come on the show. You can connect with Bobby on Twitter. I've provided a link for his profile in the write-up of this podcast. I've also provided a link to FC Virginia, uh, to their social media in, uh, in the write-up of this podcast. Both of those can be found on 343coaching.com. And that's also where you can learn more about how you can accelerate your development as a coach. The 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program is a simple and powerful program that teaches you proven methods used by one of this country's best coaches that he used to develop some of this country's best young players. When you sign up, you get instant access to a library of videos, including real games and real training sessions that show you exactly how Brian Clyburn coached guys like LA Galaxy's Efra Alvarez, Ajax's Alex Mendez, and Wolfsburg's Uli Yanez, just to name a few. With your membership, you also get 24-7 online access to eBooks, audio lessons, recorded classroom presentations, on-field clinics, and you also get members-only forums for networking and sharing ideas with other 343 members. You get all of that for just $2.95. No traveling, no waiting periods, no red tape. For a fraction of the price of what other coaching education courses cost in this country, you're able to learn from a proven practitioner, and you get everything that you need to become a better, more confident coach. You can learn more about the benefits of getting your education from 343 by visiting 343coaching.com. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. I hope you're ready for this, and I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Bobby Puppioni. Cool. Good. You settled in for like 30 minutes? Yeah, good. All right. Bobby Puppioni. I love saying your last name. 
all right, let's uh, let, let's start with uh, with learning a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and and what you do. Um, if I remember correctly, this isn't your first podcast, right? You've you've done interviews before. Done interviews before. First podcast with you. Not the first puppyoni to have a podcast with you. That is true as well. What what other podcasts have you been on? I've been on the Soccer Chat podcast and um, a couple others. I'd, I'd have to go back. I know I've chatted with Gary Kernine before. I'm not sure if he had anything directly on his podcast, but you know we chatted about various things as well as MSC education that he does and as well as his books and things like that. Got it. Yeah, I I know I, I know that I've listened to you on a podcast before. I can't remember exactly which one it was either, but that's when I first learned that you were from California. And I was, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised to, uh, to hear about that. So where, uh, where, where in California did, did you grow up and, and what was, what was soccer like there when you were growing up? Yeah, I was born in Hayward, California. So right outside of Oakland and Castro Valley and Castro Valley is actually where I grew up and played club soccer for, uh, club outside of Castro Valley for the first few years called SAC, Southern Alameda County. And then they eventually, as clubs do, as you know, they merge and become different things. And then in our town of Castro Valley, we actually started a club. And I was one on, on one of the first teams for Castro Valley's um, soccer club and played there through my club career and played for our high school in Castro Valley. And uh, then I moved on to the University of Alabama. They don't have a men's NCAA program there. Um, I played on a men's team there, played um, adult leagues, and continued to play while I was working with um, the university team as a student manager and coaching club and high school in the area as well. But uh, in California, uh, as you know, it's soccer is crazy. It's definitely one of the most popular sports. People are always playing it, and we were playing in the streets. We were playing on uh, local schoolyards and, and continue just to play pickup and do different things and things that we need to have happen more often here in uh, modern day. Uh, but back in the 80s and 90s, uh, pickup soccer was going on um, a lot in, in California and the quality of players that were around us were were quite good. What was the, the population or what was the culture like in, in Castro Valley and, and, kind of like the East Bay area where you were from. And, and I'll, I guess I'll, I'll throw in that I'm originally from San Mateo. My dad was part of a, or is part of um, a pretty vibrant Croatian culture in the Bay area. And, and they have always had at least one team in like a men's league or, or some type of team playing in, in a league or a competition at all times. And they're always playing against like Italians or Mexicans or, 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 you know, uh, Portuguese, whatever you name it, every every kind of culture is represented throughout the Bay Area. So I'm curious what the what what your area kind of had, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s when you were growing up, and and maybe did you even notice that that there was you know different cultures in in, in the Bay Area soccer scene at that time? Yeah, there was definitely different cultures in, in the scene. We had uh, on our club team alone. We had uh, obviously just, you know, white Americans. We had African-Americans. We had Guatemalans. We had Hondurans. We had um, players of Mexican and other Latino descent um, and some of different um, Asian cultures as well. So there was definitely 
a cross of, of players from all different places. You know, most of them, if not all of them, were, were born in, in the U.S., but um, we had definitely had um, a variety of cultures that were represented. In our town, you know, the, the highest population was was white, but there was a variety of um, cultures from all over, and, and, and that was um, definitely great because you had players that were coming from a variety of bra- backgrounds that had different experiences but all of them had a uh, deep love for the, for playing the game, which was great too. So, you know, you brought those together and we would go to um, professional games. We would go to college games. We would go to games that, you know, together as teams. And it was a lot of fun because everyone was enjoyed seeing soccer live and being a part of that experience. This is reminding me of a, of a piece of the conversation that I had with Kyle Martino where Kyle recalled, going to like, a, I, I want to say like an indoor, like a futsal type uh, environment. And he was a teenager. I hope I'm remembering this story correctly. Um, but he got exposed to this, a bunch of different cultures and a bunch of, of kids and players that he had never played with before because he had done like the traditional club soccer route or, or, or recreational uh, soccer route. And here, in this little environment that he got thrown into at this, at this point were you know, these amazing soccer players that he had never seen before. He'd never played against these guys before. And he said that if I remember correctly, that these guys were just head and shoulders, just, you know, above everybody else. And why it kind of got him thinking like, why aren't these players included in, um, you know, the, the traditional type environment. And, um, you know, this is when Kyle was growing up. So maybe the eighties, nineties, I'm not sure exactly how old he is. Um, I'm curious if you ever had that that type of uh, experience in the Bay Area. Did you ever kind of get get thrown into an environment where, like, wow, like these kids are amazing. Why aren't they on my club team? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we would play, um, we would play some kind of unorganized friendlies against you know different teams that some of our coaches and parents knew from just their their neighborhoods and things. And we would play these teams, and we would say like, "What club is this?" Well, it's not really a club. It's a collection of players um, that we know from, from a community and like, wow, you know, what's going on here. And some of those players would end up becoming part of, you know, a club team eventually, which was great. So they can continue to play and have possibly have opportunities to move forward. But as you know, there's a financial aspect that goes with that sometimes where some players don't have the means to be able to play in a club environment. And that's unfortunate, you know, because then maybe they're, opportunities are then stunted because they just continue to play and they're never seen or they're never, uh, you know, able to continue moving forward with it and don't see an end game, so to speak for it. So, uh, but we were definitely able to play against variety of, of cultures and teams from various backgrounds. And, and in the Bay area, there's so many different clubs and areas with players and pockets of teams that, that are good. It was great to have competition where we didn't have to travel very far to get good games uh, because the Northern California soccer area is, is pretty densely populated with quality teams. Did that variety of, of cultures exist when you moved to Alabama? Definitely not in Alabama. It was, uh, there was definitely less of it. Um, you know, soccer is definitely not one of the top five popular sports. Um, I don't even know where it would rank there. But the people that do play it there are so passionate about it. And there are some quality players that have come out of uh, Alabama. But, you know, 
there's just not, it's not very densely populated with it. You know, some of the top players in Alabama stay in Alabama and play club soccer there. Some that live close to Atlanta go to play for Atlanta clubs, uh, while some end up going to academies in other states. Like I know there's players that have gone to FC Dallas and played there. They're now part of, you know, the U20 environment, like, uh, and U23s and pros like Brandon Cervania, who plays for FC Dallas. You know, players have left Alabama and gone on to, play in other states just because the level um there and the excitement of it there wasn't comparable to you know other big city areas across the country so um you know it was definitely different when we went to alabama but you know the people that were helping run things in alabama were quite good at you know trying to grow the game and i know that um, a close friend of mine zach crawford who now works with with us soccer and their grassroots coaching department you know, he helped grow the population of players in, in Alabama during his time there uh, greatly, you know. And so, you know, the game is growing in, in some of these states where it was not as popular. Uh, but it's definitely different when you go to Alabama compared to, you know, a California, a Texas, a New York, a Chicago, you know, cities and, and states that, you know, have a variety of cultures and that soccer is definitely more popular. Was that an advantage for you when you first moved there as a player? And actually, I had wrote down a question. Um, when when you said you went to Alabama, you said that they didn't have a, a men's team like a, that represented the university. So did you play for like a club team that was? Yeah. So they yeah. So they didn't have an NCAA team, um, but they do had they did have club sports there. So they had men's club soccer. And I played with them for a little bit, but their season was also during the time of the the women's team. And I was a student manager during my time there with the women's team. So um, I played a little bit with the men's club team. We also had a men's league team that was of the men's club team that played in one of the local um, Latino leagues. And so that was fantastic. We played on Sundays uh, during the year and we played with um, a lot of players of a variety of cultures and it was great to have us be able to play in that men's league too. So I played on that team. Our, our team name was actually a pretty cool name. It was called Tuscaloosa Nations. And the Nations represented that our own team itself had players from a variety of states, more than 10 different states. And it had players of different cultures and backgrounds. We had players that had moved to the U.S. We had players that have been, you know, um, you know, with parents that were both born out of the country and it was it was a cool name to have because we called ourselves the Tuscaloosa Nations because a variety of nations were represented in in our team. So it was a very diverse team, which was was pretty cool. And we all were, were, were good friends and we're still friends today. And and with the, the joy of social media uh, in the fall and in the uh, spring, we always have Facebook memories that pop up uh, with photos of us playing in different competitions together in our uh, purple and yellow jerseys that we had. Um, not because of LSU, the college, but more so, I think, because those were the cheapest ones that we could get from the distributor that we could get logoed. So uh, black shorts, black socks with uh, purple and yellow jerseys at times. So, but it looked okay. So it sounds like you, you guys made that conscious decision or you guys were aware of, of, you know, your variety of cultures kind of mashing together on your team and you guys made the conscious decision to, you know, name it, Tuscaloosa nations. Um, how, how old were you guys though at that time? 20, 21, 22. We were in yeah, college, 20, 21, 22, 23. So, um, I was in graduate school. 
for the last two years of it as well. Uh, as I went to school at, at Alabama for my master's degree too. So um, we, our team was, was with undergrads and graduate students. And actually some of our players that finished playing club that went on to, that we coached in club when we were in, in Alabama, and, you know, when we were 22, 23, and we were coaching club, a couple of us, our players that graduated, we invited them onto the team when they end up going to school at the University of Alabama. And so some of our players end up becoming our teammates in the latter years of it because uh, we're like, well, these players are quality. They're young. They're youthful. They got legs to, to be able to run a lot. So let's put them on the squad as well. So it was a pretty cool um, club that we had there, you know, and more so club just being we were a collection of guys that loved the game. We watched the game. We would go play. We'd play pickup uh, on the university campus a couple times a week, and we would play in those uh, matches uh, on the weekend. So, yeah, and, and so where I was going with with that last um, comment about how you guys kind of like you guys were aware of the different variety of cultures that were kind of mashing together on your team. And you guys were all very young too, but you guys were able to recognize like, Hey, like I'm from here, they're from here, they're from here. And this is, you know, this is quite amazing that we're all coming together to play the same sport. And and we're going to even name ourselves after this. Um, I'm curious how, how that kind of came about, uh, you know, how did, how did you guys first recognize that? And and what did that ultimately teach you that, that has maybe stuck with you? as you become a, a student manager, a young coach, now a director in soccer, you know, what, what is that? What is the lesson, I guess, of having all these different cultures uh, available and, and mashing those together to form teams and clubs? Yeah, I think it was pretty cool that we came together. I, I don't, I wasn't one of the original originating um, naming <laughs> partners of, of, of it, but, you know, just the fact that we, we would talk about, we're all from a variety of cultures and it's almost like the United Nations. So it's kind of a playoff of United Nations being, you know, the name that we came with with Tuscaloosa nation. So, you know, Tuscaloosa dates back to a native American chief, uh, in, in the Alabama, Mississippi area. So it was originally like, Tuscaloosa with a K, but now it's spelled with a C, but that's the originating like back in, I think like the 14, 1500s or so maybe. And that's the origination of Tuscaloosa. And then obviously the nations being United Nations. But I think something that I've taken from that is that the game brings together so many different cultures or has the possibility to bring together so many different cultures. And we should be so accepting of that and willing to try new ideas, give players opportunities, and be welcoming to a variety of um, opportunities to learn from people that aren't like you. And it's perfectly okay. And, and in fact, great to be around those that are not like you because you can learn so much from them, whether it's from your coaching staff to the players. And I think that's something that is pretty cool about the club that I work for right now, St. James FC Virginia. If you look at the club, staff that you know that i'm working with on a weekly basis in our girls development academy we have one of our coaches is from germany we have two from england we have one that has brazilian and argentinian roots myself um just recently we one of our coaches that is is dutch she actually just moved and retired back to europe to their house in spain but if you at one time in the past year 
our players had the opportunity to work with coaches that had backgrounds from five to six different countries. And everyone came together with different ideas. And yet we still were able to work together and come up with, okay, this is how we want our girls development Academy to be looking like and to be playing. And how can we add in flavors from different cultures into making us better? So one of our coaches, Gus is a fantastic futsal coach and direct director for our club. And so he brings in that Brazilian Argentinian flair into the training sessions, as well as when we do futsal training throughout the year as part of our, our, our growth and development for the players. And then we have, you know, uh, Marvin, who is a former coach um, in, or not a former coach, a former player for Luton in England. And he also helped run an academy there. So his experiences as a player and a coach there come into play. And he, he had, you know, hundreds of league appearance, appearances as a center back for them. So he brings that. Emma, one of our coaches, is a college coach, um, as well as a, a, a former pro and, and top player. And she brings her experiences. Christian and his sports science background from Germany, they bring their experiences. Manya, my wife, obviously played in Europe and played in the U.S. and now is a college coach. She brings her experiences. So, again, my thing that I guess I'm trying to get at here is that we all come from a variety of backgrounds and we can bring something to the table. And, again, I use the word flavors that we all bring a different flavor to the table that we can put together. And now we can have that be, you know, instilled and developed inside of our players as well. How how do you guys bring... A, a mix of flavors at the player level how or or do you guys i don't i don't know the makeup of your guys's club but uh are, are you guys trying to get that same kind of mishmash of of cultures and, and communities at the player level as well yeah it's something that we're definitely looking to do it's you know i i definitely would say we need to continue to do more of it not because we're not trying, but more so, how do we reach areas that we haven't been able to reach so far? And how can we make sure we're providing an opportunity to players that want an opportunity? You know, our, our club does a good job, as do as do other clubs in the area and across the country, at trying to make sure that, you know, there are no barriers or very limited barriers, at least, uh, for players to be able to come in and have an opportunity to play for a club. You know, we don't want financial to be a reason why, you know, if they are in need and we can find a way to make it work, we're going to, we're going to work in our power to do so. And so we're, we're doing so by just trying to reach out to different communities, people that we know in the communities, our coaches, you know, work with different people, our families work with different people that we can work with, with communities that maybe don't have clubs that service them or, you know, players that are looking for opportunities and obviously we do so through word of mouth. We do through marketing, um, you know, just trying to show that there are opportunities for players. And if you look inside of our rec program and inside of even some of our teams on the boys and girls side, you can see that we're becoming more diverse in that. And, uh, you know, we're always trying to see how we can continue to add to our club um, with, with players that, you know, would be a good fit for it and that are looking for an opportunity to play. So uh, I didn't know this, but you guys have a recreational program attached to to your guys' club. Yeah, we do. We have a small little rec program that continues to grow in, in the Northern Virginia area. Um, and a lot of different clubs also have rec programs too. And it just, you know, allows an entry level opportunity for players in the young ages to uh, step in and, and start playing the game. And we encourage a, a lot of play 
encourage, you know, opportunities to grow and make mistakes and have fun while doing so. And those players then, you know, have the opportunity to then move up when competitive starts into those environments. And, and if not, there's still recreational opportunities for them as well. I'm going to, I'm going to share just an observation that has been ingrained into my head. It's been just burned into my brain actually. Um, Sure. For for years, what I noticed in my area when I was growing up as a player and then as a coach is that there was a big difference between the way that the recreational league looked compared to the way that the all star teams looked compared to the way that the club teams looked. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say it, just, and I don't really care what people think, but it got wider and wider and wider as as you moved up the ranks, right? So the, the it was the most colorful in the recreational league, meaning that there was, you know, uh, multiple cultures um, represented, multiple multiple colors represented. And then as you got to all-stars, that was like the natural progression. You would go from rec to, you know, the recreational all-stars. Um, it, it, it got a little bit less diverse. And then when you got into club soccer, actual pain, you know, travel club soccer, it was even less diverse. Now it's a little bit better now, probably within the last like three, four, five years. But up until like five years ago, that, that was kind of the trend. And I, I had started to notice that as a very, very young coach. And that's when, you know, I was 21, 22. I was starting to realize that these, these are big, big, big problems. And the people that were, in positions to fix those problems weren't really aware that they were problems. They, 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 they didn't really realize what was going on. And now that I'm 32, looking back at my 22 year old self or 21 year old self, I'm like, man, you had an opportunity to do, to do so much for your community and, and you didn't know how to do it at that time. And so that's just an observation that I have. And, and I've been wanting to say something like that for a long time. I just haven't really had the opportunity to say it. I apologize if it, twist the the way this episode is going but um yeah just wanted to share that i guess i don't know if it's something similar that you've seen in california when you were growing up or if you saw in alabama or if you saw in northern virginia um but I, th- I i think diversity is a big problem in in american soccer yeah i mean i think we just want to continue to make sure that we're able to serve and locate and allow opportunities for for people is it perfect absolutely not and there are times where it's not good enough for sure. But I do know that, you know, there are some clubs and, and people that are working to fix that problem, but it is, it is a problem. And if we can't serve or we can't reach, or we can't make sure that people have opportunities and if there's no path for them, that is uh, unfortunate for sure. You know, so let's look to, to fix that and work on that. And how can we make sure we are able to give players the opportunities? I mean, we, all of us in this country, you know, not we, my club but and myself, but how can we help make sure players do get opportunities to play and love the game? Because uh, I'm blessed that I gave, get to be able to do this full time. And it's amazing to be able to do that. And, I, and I'm very thankful each and every day to be able to do this. And I think, you know, these players, you know, wait all day long until school gets out to be able to go and play and train. And, and some don't have that opportunity. So how can we remove some of these barriers and work together so that players have more opportunities uh, rather than less and only certain people. Yeah. And, and I guess the, the, the underlying point that I probably should make too, is that, you know, the best players aren't always getting the opportunities, 
no matter their color or 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 their gender or you know it's not even just players it's coaches and 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 other people as well right but you know the the best of the best are not always getting the opportunity because of these barriers that you've mentioned now a couple of times so removing barriers and allowing just the best of the best to really flow and 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 for the cream to rise to the top is something that should be a priority for for everybody across the country and i know that hope solo has become uh, very vocal about about that specifically she and i think even if i remember correctly she has a tweet that says like, how is the cream supposed to rise to the top if there's a bunch of uh, obstacles in the way and sure and so it's that that seems to be the the more important issue to me um you know how how can we remove those barriers so that the cream can rise to the top instead of just being filtered out at it, what seems to be younger and younger levels now um now that now that club soccer is becoming more popular at you know seven eight nine years old yeah no agreed and and i think you know some of it is, is difficult to remove but it doesn't mean we should stop trying right you know yep. part of part of it is <laughs> our country is and i don't not making excuses our country is just so dang big yep. you know yeah and and there's a lot of people so there there are going to be people that are going to be missed but how can we you know say it's x percent are being missed how can we make that half of it you know, at least. And then how can we take that down even more? And how can we start removing some of this um, so we can make players uh, be seen, have opportunities? And I'm not just saying be seen for, for national team or pro, but I'm also just saying, you know, the grassroots level and having them, giving them opportunities to play and love the game. Because why should they be, be limited as well? So, yeah. I, I, and I forget where I heard this the other day or read this the other day, but something about education. So education on a mass scale needs to happen, right? So we're, we're a gigantic country. Somebody needs to take the responsibility of educating on a mass scale. And then people in their local communities need to take responsibility and then educate in their, in their local markets and, 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 you know, club directors, club coaches, parents, whatever leagues, clubs need to take that responsibility on it. And, and, educate and fix the problems in their local markets. Because if you, if everybody tries to fix something on a national scale, nothing's ever going to get done. But, but, but if we all collectively work in our local communities to educate, well, then, you know, that's, that's going to make a big impact. And I think we're starting to kind of move in that direction, which is nice. I think a lot of people are starting to move in a different direction than, than, you know, than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, which is nice. Um, but we still have so much work to do, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but I just, I, I try to be optimistic, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying you're not either. Um, I'm just saying, <laughs> but let's, you know, we need to keep working, you know, and, and, and it's just like a, a problem in a game. We got to solve it and yeah. we got to, we got to find a way, you know, and if it, one, one solution is not working, what do you do in a game? You, you, you try to, change it maybe or or implement something new and try to find a solution and and that's what i think we should do but i think you're absolutely right about um you know the people in the local markets trying to do so and i think that's something that is going to need to happen and i i know there are people doing that so i definitely want that to see that continue i'm glad that you mentioned that you're optimistic because you and i are kind of you know 
opposite ends and i was thinking about this coming in the episode is that you and manya are so positive you're like your energy even even in just tweets yeah you know the energy (laughs) just radiates you guys have such positive energy which is awesome and and i love it and and then here you are talking to me and i'm and i'm you know largely considered one of the most negative people on twitter um even though that's not my 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 daily actual life but um but I, I tend to point out problems and you guys tend to focus more on the positives. And, and I think that's, it's kind of, you know, that's why these podcasts are kind of cool. Cause we can come together and exchange some ideas and, 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 and kind of cross over with our audiences, which I think is pretty fun. Um, yeah, for sure. I, and I don't think negative, I mean, people have that maybe impression of you or others or whatever. That's fine. That's their impression and perception, but more so, yeah, there are problems. Okay. Yeah. Let's point them out. And you know, there's nothing wrong with pointing them out. And, and it's not like you're pointing out problems and just saying it's a problem. And I'm not saying anything else. You try to offer up solutions. You try to talk about it and get discussions going. And this is part of the problem solving process. Uh, but that's not always received either. People just like to hear or see one thing. And, you know, we, we, we know there's problems. Monty and I have plenty of things that we're either frustrated about, or there's, we see problems in and, we're just trying to look at, okay, then what's the solution, you know, or what can we do to help assist in this? And, you know, so that's why we are, you know, she and I are both on the, um, on a board, our board members for this local charity in, in Washington, DC, that's actually global too. It's called leveling the playing field. And what they do is they look to get sports equipment and give it to underserved populations and, and those that are in financial need. And this is not just soccer, but obviously we're heavily involved in that part of it, but football, hockey, yoga, baseball, basketball, and we collect gear, we run drives, we are part of their their daily staff, and we work with them to help bring sports of any kind to these underserved communities, you know, and that's locally in the D.C. area, nationally, as well as, you know, some countries that we've helped serve too. And so we recognize it's a problem that, you know, we can't all have $200 Nikes and $150 Jordans and everything like that or whatever they cost. Right. Uh, but how can we bring sporting equipment and shoes and clothes to these communities that can't afford anything and allow those kids to have the opportunity to play. And then when we see the photos and we're at events and we see the joy these kids have, it's, it makes us feel like, okay, we're making some progress. There's more to go, but let's keep, you know, forging ahead. That's awesome, man. I, I, I love your guys' positive energy. I loved I loved uh, the conversation that I had with Manya as well. Um, and, and I love seeing you guys actively involved every single week on social media, specifically with, with the soccer chat, um, with, the, with that hashtag and, and what they do on Wednesday nights. And, and you guys are just, you're always just, yeah, it's so positive. I love it. Um, where, Thank you. Where, where can people connect with you? Where can people connect with Manya? Maybe you can, for people that don't know who she is, maybe you can just say real quick who she is. Um, yeah. Um, so, so my wife is the way more popular one, uh, Manya Papioni, formerly McCoskey. Uh, she was a past All-American. She played professionally in the NWSL and prior to the ND, uh, NWSL. And she also played in Europe. And, and now she's uh, and she's been in, she's won a U19 World Cup and well, she's got a Wikipedia page and she's popular and I'm not. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, but she's the head coach at Marymount Women's Soccer 
in Arlington, Virginia. She just started there as the head coach in, in late April, early May, and they just started conference play and they actually won this past weekend and she's getting ready for, for more conference matches coming up. So, um, is my wife and, uh, she, like I said, is the more popular one. You can find her at, at McCoskey, M-A-K-O-S-K-I-22, uh, on Twitter. And uh, you can find her there. And, and then I'm, I'm Bobby Puppioni, and, and I'm the Girls Academy Director and at St. James FC Virginia. And, and on Twitter, I'm at Bobby Pup, so B-O-B-B-Y-P-U-P for Puppioni. So at Bobby Pup on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, that's where we are, but always open to chat, share ideas, learn from others. Um, that's one of the things that she and I are always interested in is, you know, listening to your podcast, John, and learning from, from the guests that you have on. And, you know, I was I haven't read it yet, but uh, or listened to it yet. But I'm looking forward to the, the podcast that you, you just had out um, about uh, Jose Lopez and why coaching to win isn't for everyone. <laughs> and um, I liked your tweet a little bit ago about, you know, there's going to be someone not listening and then having controversy. And, and that's going to be common for sure with people who don't you know listen to the full messages or read articles or listen to podcasts. But I'm looking forward to listening to that one. I already had it come up on the queue in my iphone so um so that should be good yeah i i I definitely appreciate now like um when somebody like tim ferris says that not every episode is for everyone uh he records like he records with a a scientist and then he records with an athlete and then he records with a politician and and i can kind of know i kind of have a a good idea now of of what episodes are going to hit with with certain crowds and what episodes are going to get you know, some, some fire thrown back at me. And this is one of the sure. things that people are going to hear and they're going to be like, well, uh, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my two cents about this one. And, and so I'm, I'm curious to see what people say. <laughs> sure. Sure. No, I think it's good. People can listen and exactly. then have questions and comments and yeah, there's no problem with that. I'm down with it. I'm down with it. And Jose even says in the episode and he, he's like, I don't, I don't care you know what people think, you know, it's, I care about my team my my boys uh my staff and and doing it our way and that's all that matters yeah them, which i think is fantastic sure yeah um all right bobby i hope you're uh i hope you're happy with your performance on here we'll have to maybe put the episode side by side and let people vote on on who's the who's the better interview you or manya yeah let's not do that <laughs> let's just concede right now to her um because i won't hear the end of it so if there's no official voting we can't say that it actually happened so very true um but, uh, but no, thank you for having me on. Um, it, it was long overdue on my end, not yours. So, um, thank you for, for allowing me to share about my experiences and, and thank you for doing these because it, it gives me something to listen to and think about. And I hope others, um, continue to, to, to find the same in my episode and others as well. Absolutely, man. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. Take All care. Right. All right, dude. Later. Right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time 
by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.